Welcome back to the Table Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this book study. We're reading Dan Kimball's book, How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. Um, Megan, here's, when I read that subtitle, the question that comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Why is um, the fact that a man came back from the dead not included in the crazy sounding parts of scripture? I know. I constantly tell that to people who are like, I don't know. That's a bridge too far for me. Like something about their faith. And I'm like, you're staking what you say is the most important thing about your life on the fact that a guy died and then came back <laughs> and also somehow is like gluing the broken world back together but that's too much for you. But you you get, can't tithe. You're getting tripped up on like <laughs> the fibers that were required or not required to be in people's clothing in the Old Testament. Yeah. Like there's parts of the Bible where you're like, I don't know that we could really say like, who knows, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that does sound pretty crazy. I believe that Jesus came back from the dead, but demons, that's just going too far. Yeah, exactly. Actually, like- <laughs> it, it brings up a good question here. And there's something that I've been thinking about lately. Um, the whole the whole book so far actually um it, so what does it say that people zero in on the ethical absurdities of the bible but not what i would call the ontological absurdities of the bible what's that say about our culture and what let me explain my question a little more <laughs> it seems as we read through this uh, book and he keeps sharing all these like uh, internet memes where people are like poking fun at Christians in the Bible. Mm-hmm. They're always about some sort of ethical or moral absurdity they find in the Bible. Like thou shalt not boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Yeah, that would or, be crazy. Or, you know, more seriously, like yeah. slavery stuff. And um, yeah, you know, like yeah. if you, <laughs> you're allowed to like beat your servant as long as they don't die and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, th- that seems to be the level at which people are attacking the Bible and Christianity, uh, but not like, wait, you believe that a man came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. I- and I just wonder if that means that like the the frontier of evangelism of, you know, I don't know, I don't like to use the word apologetics, but I guess I'll use the word of, of apologetics and stuff like that is along the moral and ethical lines Mm -hmm. and not so much on the questions of ontology or metaphysics, you know, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, like I think that people today more or less buy into the supernatural. Yep. Like that's, that's not a a hurdle for them. Like maybe it was at one point, like Mm -hmm. there's actually studies that show like, uh, people's supernatural beliefs are actually increasing in the world. Yeah. You know, and I mean, even atheists are like, well, we can totally accept that people have supernatural feeling experiences and here are the reasons why it might happen. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah but, but then it, it appears as though where people are really tripping up would be on these kind of crazy moral absurdities that they mm-hmm. read about in the Old Testament, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just think that says something about where culture is right now and maybe, you know, how the church ought to be leading and. Like maybe we don't talk about those really important things enough in a way that actually knocks people's heads loose to think, hey, that's a big deal. And that has implications for my actual life. Yeah, (laughs) that and it sheds light on like just the damage we're doing when we are out in the world being idiots, Mm -hmm. you know, like when the church is just living in ways that do not align with Jesus' teachings, um, that is driving people away from the faith 
in a similar, if not stronger sense than like scientific advancements would, would like chip away at people's ability to believe in supernatural. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not happening very much. Mm -hmm. What is happening is people are losing faith because the, the ethics of the church and what they say to believe just don't line up. Yeah. Like people are generally okay with accepting that there are things we know and things we don't know. That's fine. It's just people being jerks who claim something and do something else that seems right. to rub them the wrong way. Yeah. 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 And so that's like the motivation for so many of these internet memes that Dan Kimball is bringing up. Mm-hmm. Somebody was like, how can you believe this sort of moral absurdity, you know, slavery and yeah. stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. So let's talk about it. <laughs> is the Bible morally, uh, is it, is, you know, are Christians moral cretins because they believe the Bible? That's a good point. <laughs> That's the question we want to answer today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, where should we begin? Where should we begin? Okay, I, I know where to begin. Uh, this is from my Bible reading this morning. I was reading in Deuteronomy. Okay. Deuteronomy uh, 17, we read such. Um, if there is found in your midst in any of your towns which the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God by transgressing his covenant, and blah, 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 goes on to say, and has served other gods, worship them. So basically, if they're, in, if they're participating in like pagan worship rituals, it says that, um, then you shall bring out that man or that woman who has done this evil deed to your gates, and you shall stone them to death. The All Bible right. says so. That's Deuteronomy 17. So if you catch somebody worshiping a false god, take them outside the city and stone them to death. But the next verse says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So good news. You need at least two witnesses mm-hmm. in order to die. If you only have one witness, then you're good. Now, we're going to read that, and we're going to be like, well, what the heck? That sounds barbaric. And, of course, it, I mean, yeah, it is. It sounds, It is barbaric. Like, we wouldn't want to behave that way today. But it goes back to what I asked, or one of the, my Bible reading tips last week, which is, which direction is it moving? And what this is doing in the ancient context is actually helping protect the innocent by requiring at least two witnesses, because mm-hmm. that wasn't always the case. And so we always want to ask, what direction is it moving against the broader mm-hmm. culture? And in this case, that particular command that looks really barbaric to us is actually moving towards the protection of the innocent and, and mercy, even mm-hmm. though it's hard to see across this chasm of history that we stand. Those types of things often remind me of like uh, if you're parenting a child who has a lot of strugs, is what we call them in our house, <laughs> just like struggles. And um you're like, you know, they're really a hot mess today, but they put on their seatbelt without making me <laughs> yeah. make them. So that direction is good. Mm-hmm. Like I can be happy with that today. Like if oh, you all brushed you your did, teeth? If all you did <laughs> was even put the toothbrush in your mouth and not <laughs> just like pretend that you did, that's Progr- good. Progress. Like this is a good direction. Mm-hmm. And anything else that happens today, we've made a small move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So what do we have in these chapters? Part two, by the way. We're in part two We're of the in book. Part two. Um, chapter four. It seems to me he just kind of reiterated the questions quite a bit. Um, oh. 
So we, we, we understand that the Bible tells us not to touch dead pigs, which now people are going to be like, oh, so Christians can't play football because mm-hmm. you can't touch the pig skin or that you can't eat shrimp um, or shellfish. Uh, I think my favorite meme that I've seen in the book so far, it actually happens. Are you going to say the one that I was thinking of? Is it the shellfish one? That one is funny. It, it's like... I was thinking of the pork one. God could have banned shellfish or slavery. Shellfish. He chose shellfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just funny. That's just funny. Oh. Um, so anyway, chapter four is reiterating the question a lot, but then we get into chapter five and he starts talking about, um, starts talking about some, I think, helpful things. Um, it's called the art of not cherry picking Bible verses. Mm-hmm. And he starts out by kind of, as by way of illustration, some of the absurd laws in the books in America, such as there's a law that you cannot carry ice cream in your pocket. There is. Yeah. It's in the I book. I know that. I know. <laughs> Did you not read the book? Okay. But As- apparently, um, <laughs> like people would do that to steal horses. Like yeah, it would that's draw, so weird. The horse would follow you if you got an ice cream cone sticking out of your back, back pocket and you steal a horse. <laughs> I just think that's like the most comical. Like if that was a big enough problem, like, you know, that saying like every rule has a story and mm-hmm. you're like, how many times did that happen? before right. someone got like hip to it <laughs> i think that are the 1920s and 1930s were they just a cartoon yes <laughs> like that is something that you would see like in a bugs bunny cartoon yeah. or something like that <laughs> um and then there's also a law that prov- you could not keep a donkey in a bathtub <laughs> because apparently somebody did that and then there was like a landslide or something and the donkey was really hard to rescue because it was in a bathtub. I don't know. Did it, the bathtub must have got swept just, away in the landslide. Yeah. And so I, a donkey's just riding this, this thing out <laughs> in a bathtub. And so the local legislators were like, okay, that's enough. I just, Farmer I wonder, Joe, like, get your donkey out of the do bathtub. Do we have any awesome laws in Iowa right now or in the city of Des Moines right now that we don't know about uh, that I'm, are like I'm that? Sure. Uh, this is Iowa. We got, all, we got crazy laws that you were know? made like last month (laughs) that's true that's true but you know just stuff where it's like uh back in the day you know Mm -hmm. when you could get in trouble for putting your donkey in a tub because it could slide down the hill and get away from you (laughs) (laughs) and then people have to spend their time rescuing your donkey i know (laughs) and you know what you just can't be doing that so the point of course is that all these crazy sounding laws have a context mm-hmm. there's a reason for them like i don't even know how i could acquire a donkey anymore i'd have to go to like a farm sale how much is a donkey like, how much, a how much going would for? a donkey go for and what kind of a tub would it fit in you know hey, that reminds me uh, natalie and i have been toying with getting a dog and i'm i like to say that you are getting a dog <laughs> it's probably inevitable but we're looking around a little bit um, we're particularly interested in like a mini golden doodle because they're apparently hypoallergenic and seem like good dogs. So if anybody knows anybody who sells golden doodles or things like that. It doesn't even have to be mini really. You guys can handle it. You think we have like a little standard? horse? We got a little yard. Yeah, but I mean, even with a smaller one, they're going to want to go to the dog park. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to take that dog running. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach that dog to catch a frisbee. 
that's like my stipulation for a dog. It's like it's gotta be a dog that can catch a frisbee. Yeah. I don't want a Shih Tzu. Yeah, those you are useless. I mean? Like, it, I want something that's gonna catch a frisbee. Um. Anyway, we I say that we currently have dogs that need like three to five miles of running a day, um, to stay sane, which mm-hmm. is great. Like we have a lifestyle where this is fine, but Jim and I do miss our pug every once in a while. Mm. You know, like when you sit, yeah, when you'd sit down on the couch and he was always right there to just warm you like you're a Chinese empress or something (laughs) like that. That was nice. Yeah. But um, otherwise. Anyway, they're really expensive is what I'm finding. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody has a connection, let me know. Um, Moving on. I want to read this section. Don't keep your dog in a tub (laughs) because your house is prone to flooding. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um. So yeah, the the Bible says you can't have like mixed fabrics in your garment and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So what what's that about? Well, once again, we find context illuminates things. So some scholars believe, page 72, some scholars believe that the Canaanites who were living in the land at the time had a magical practice of wetting different seeds together to have offspring in an attempt to conjure up fertile crops. This is a strong, there's a strong likelihood that the prohibitions against mixing different kinds of seeds, animals, and materials together were designed to discourage and prevent the Israelites from imitating the fertility cult practices of the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. So, so much of what we read in the Old Testament is just trying to put as much distance as possible from the religious practices of Israel versus the practices of the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. Like God's like, yo, I don't want you to even, I don't even want you to look their direction. You know, Mm -hmm. I want you to simply look at me. I just simply want you to worship me. And if you think about how easy it is to go astray right now, even if you're still connected to the outside world, but you've got like a lot of time by yourself during the pandemic, how easy it is to go astray. Just imagine how easy it would be for people to get off course in following God in a world like that. Mm -hmm. Especially when you go into their (laughs) land and you say, oh, wow, they've got Mm -hmm. really good crops. Mm -hmm. You know, everything here is like growing really well. Maybe their gods are doing stuff for Mm -hmm. them. Maybe we should put up an Asherah pole. You know, maybe we should. God's like, nope, I got you. So so a lot of the weird stuff that we see is simply keeping them from, I don't know, intermingling their religion with other religions. Um, And you could say the same about the dietary laws and stuff like that. One, here's a meme. It's called Amazing Nonsense in the Bible. There's a picture of a goat. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So people are making fun of the Bible for the nonsense that's in there, such as cooking, you can't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Here's what I want to ask. Did the person who made that meme think it's cool to cook a young goat in its mother's milk then? Yeah, probably. Like, I think he's the monster. Who among us (laughs) has not been tempted (laughs) You think it's okay to boil a baby goat in its mother's milk? That's horrible. Baby goats are kind of cute. So anyway. Jim's parents get goats. I think that that particular meme could be turned around on itself. The All the, like, the atheist memes, I would really, like, I, pragmatically speaking, if somebody has a good argument, I am, like, all for engaging with that. But when something just from the offset just looks, like, so underinformed and, like, you know, you're just like, what in the world? You think you're so smart? <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan Kimball tells us that although sacrificing animals was commonplace in that world, using a goat in this way was different. A goat is the animal God chose for the Israelites to use in the sacred act of atonement, an annual ritual asking God to forgive their sin. 
The goat especially was not to be used to imitate what other people groups were doing as a religious offering to their gods. Uh, Some also believe that the practice itself was morally wrong and affront to God's created purposes. It involved taking the milk God intended to give life to the animal and instead using it to kill the goat in a torturous way. And so a lot of times these laws even kind of maybe subtly are merciful. Here's another example I read in Deuteronomy today. Uh, God is predicting one day y'all are going to want a king. When you have a king, make sure that king like recites and records my laws and holds them near to him every day. And then he has this weird line that the king should not multiply his horses. And you're like, why can't the king breed horses? That seems absurd. Well, honestly, it's trying to keep Israel from being this overly militaristic state. Like, um, no, you're not supposed to just build as big of an army as possible in order to slaughter as many enemies as possible. That's mm-hmm. not how I want you to be in the world. And so, so many of these weird things, the things that seem weird to us today, uh, end up actually, I don't know, we could learn a thing or two from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just always accepting that there's going to be meaning in something to people that this was written to that we either can't understand or can't understand without more understanding. <laughs> without going out and finding um, more information. And also that there's a lot of things that, you know, are not going to be over explained because they just meant something to the people they were written to Mm -hmm. in the time that they were written where the explanation is not necessary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things where it's like, well, then why didn't God just say, don't become like a highly militaristic power in the world? Right. Well, I mean, practically how to not do that Mm -hmm. here are some ways yeah the meaning of something has to do with the way that that particular phrase or symbol or action was used within its context and if you don't know how it was used within its context then you can't understand the meaning of it for example planting different kinds of seeds next to each other or boiling goats in its milk Mm -hmm. or tattoos leviticus 19 says you can't have a tattoo well Mm -hmm. you know as he points out Canaanite religion would like, I don't know, they'd whip themselves and hurt themselves and tattoo themselves and do all these things to themselves. So no, you're not supposed to be like them. Mm-hmm. But the big question is, well, why don't we abide by them now? Are Christians being hypocritical by eating pork and getting tattoos? What do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> and he, Wait, is that wrong? He, uh, Maybe I should read the chapter again. He has a... <laughs> He talks about a TV show, an Emmy-winning TV show that pokes fun at the Bible for the whole pigskin thing. Yeah. That's West Wing. Yeah, I, I assumed that it was West Wing because yeah. it sounded, wasn't it very Aaron Sorkin-y? And it was, know. or was it the, the one with Jeff Daniels in it? I was thinking it was it's, either one of those. It's West Wing. Is it? Yeah, okay. I, I've, I remember the episode. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if he, tell, he doesn't say it in the chapter, maybe it's in a footnote or something, but. I remember thinking it was an Aaron Sorkin show. Yeah, and um, anyway, he points out the fact that footballs aren't actually made of pig skins, uh, but <laughs> why don't Christians have to follow those rules anymore? Um, mm-hmm. If somebody's truly trying to understand the Christian logic that we approach the Bible with, you know, then you'd want to do a little homework and. Um, hopefully realize that Christians believe that in one way or another, Jesus freed us from the requirements of the Jewish law. Mm-hmm. And this is literally Paul's mission, like most many of his letters to communicate this, particularly Romans and Galatians. And there are Jewish people who are also Christians who still keep many of these laws too. 
Yeah. That's um, the thing. You can. Right. You it, can do that. Sure. Yeah. And not all of these. Like they're not like observing mm-hmm. not to boil a goat in its mother's milk. But mm-hmm. there are Jewish people who are also Christians. Yeah, and particularly like the, the Jewish calendar and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. they'll observe. Um, but I don't know. I'll, just in case anyone wonders, I'll tell you some, probably some of the most important Bible verses as far as that goes. One of them would be Galatians 3. Uh, sorry, I have to look it up in my phone. Galatians 3, 28. I'm sorry, 23 to 25. My phone is searching. It says, before the coming of this faith, i.e. before the coming of Christ, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Galatians, Paul compares the law to like a babysitter, who's just kind of taking care of the kids, keeping us alive, until Mm -hmm. jesus comes like don't eat shellfish because it's the garbage disposal of the ocean (laughs) things like that yeah don't eat pork because pork ate your garbage yesterday and if you don't want to eat garbage (laughs) yeah and don't and don't get (laughs) tattoos because then you might dissolve yourselves into canaanite religion and not Mm -hmm. be distinct anymore in order to actually be a people that still exists by the time jesus does come so Galatians three twenty three to twenty five kind of lays it out pretty good, but honestly, the whole book of Hebrews is like devoted to this question of why don't Christians have to do this stuff anymore? Mm-hmm. And I've I think I've did I say it last week? I, I often wonder why in particularly kind of Protestant world, Romans and Paul's letters are kind of the apex of our theological, um, like where we get our theology from. It seems mm-hmm. I don't know why Hebrews isn't. Um, it seems like we're constantly going to Paul and Romans, but I feel like Hebrews is just so important. I don't know. I'm not trying to denigrate any part of scripture, but it seems like Hebrews doesn't get very much airtime, mm-hmm. but like, check this out. So kind of, kind of lays it out. I think fairly clearly, um, Hebrews eight says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry talking about Jesus, uh, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Mm-hmm which has been enacted on better promises. And then he goes on to quote Jeremiah where it says, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you're reading through the book of Hebrews, it feels a little bit like a, like you have one hand on the old Testament and one hand on the new Testament. And it's just like rocking you back and forth between like what is and what people are just discovering is true about Jesus Mm -hmm. at the time. And that it doesn't, at any point say that what is and what was in the past for God's people is now moot is just a deeper understanding of what is now possible because of Jesus. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. say that it cancels anything out. It just marries these things together in a way that people couldn't have seen. Brings the full film. Well, here's the perfect verse for what you're saying. I was thinking you're going to read it. Chapter 10 verse one for the law, since it was, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, we, we needed more than the law. It was just a shadow of what was to, to mm-hmm. come. And then it goes on to say in verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Um, 
So anyway, we need a Jesus, basically. Yeah, and not to say that God put people through all of that for nothing, because Jesus came at exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that all of that was worthless or that God was just putting them through paces for fun. Right. No, I mean, the law keeps people separate. It keeps them distinct and righteous and holy. It keeps them healthy. Uh, And it also demonstrates to us our need for a savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I was thinking the people following the law for centuries like this, like nothing could embody need more than all of that work to stay separate, to stay holy, to, you know, be in life with God. And then for God to say, and then none of that really could do it anyway, but mm-hmm. it mattered. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so it's just, it, it doesn't make it, it doesn't cancel anything out. It doesn't make it as though God was just like torturing these people to make, you know, it's keeping them safe. It's, it's allowing them to partner with him to set themselves apart. And God still does all of the saving work. Jesus even says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He's not deleting or canceling anything. He's fulfilling it. And um, then as we just read, you know, in the new covenant, it's written on our hearts Mm-hmm. the moral law. So, And then that's why when we look at why don't Christians follow these laws anymore or why don't we take all of these things seriously or equally, you can know that in Christ, it does not mean that those things did not matter, but now there's just this new way that we can live. So it's not as if, you know, you're... It's not as if none of it mattered. It's just that it doesn't mean the same thing for your daily life that it would have if you were a Jewish person pre-Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) It still means something for your life, just not practically what it used to, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it still tells us something about God. We can still learn something about ourselves and about what it means to be holy and about his character. probably a lot. If you start to understand like what these weird laws were about you can start to apply them to your life like you know who should you follow on instagram like what should you see every time you open your phone what mm-hmm. should you you know because those are the things that form you um, those are the the quote canaanites yeah that we're trying to be distinct mm-hmm. from <laughs> yeah yeah and so it's the same diff. yeah just think about how how much effort god went through um or how much israel went through in order to remain distinct and Today we're like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lesson for us in that. Let's talk about slavery. He, he, he hits on that at the end of the, uh, part two. And that's definitely a big one because it's true. The Bible seems to um, accept slavery as a reality. In fact, he, he, at the end of the chapter, says something I would probably actually take a little issue with. Where is it? He says... God did not create slavery nor endorse it anywhere in the Bible. Um, I would agree God didn't create slavery, but I don't know about not There's an association for endorsement and giving I mean, instructions and how to do it. literally says slaves obey your masters. Yeah. Um, that sounds, if that's not an endorsement, it's pretty, pretty close. Uh, and so I, I want to be honest, you know, about stuff like slavery is in the Bible. It's in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, but there's obviously several things we got to understand about it. Number one, uh, slavery then was not the same 
as we think of slavery as in the Chattel race, race-based slavery mm-hmm. um, that we had here in America. We Americans, we figured out how to do slavery the worst possible way. Mm-hmm. Like our brand of slavery, we were just really, we white Americans, we were just really good at making slavery as evil as it could possibly be. And it was no cakewalk and it was not good and it was still evil back in the Roman era, but it was not the same that we mm-hmm. ended up doing it. Um, a lot of times a slave is is basically a servant or an employee. They often had ways of, um, you know, getting out of, sla- of slavery. Um, but <laughs> so anyway, it's I mean, not apartheid South Africa designed its system to work largely influenced as like an amalgam of the American South and the Nazis. Hmm. Like so that was specific. Which which principle is that that we've now arrived at? Oh, <laughs> yeah. What is that? I always jokingly say it's Gopalot's third law, but that's something else. <laughs> There's a name for it's the principle. Gestalt, or is it like no? What what's it anyway? When you arrive at Hitler in a discussion <laughs> or a debate, but that's actually true. Um, when they were designing apartheid systems in South Africa, mm-hmm. they were most influenced by the way that we functioned in the American South mm-hmm. to keep people separate and Nazi Germany. Right. So, um, but you know. I, I don't want to dwell on that too much because I don't want to make it sound as though we're trying to excuse slavery in the new Testament no, and stuff like that. But it does bring up the point that he brings up in the book too. the people use the Bible a lot to endorse mm-hmm. slavery as a good and godly institution. Right. So, so how do we deal with the fact that slavery was at least sort of endorsed in the in the New Testament, um, and it doesn't seem to be terribly condemned, at least not clearly. And yeah, I mean that's something that Christians need to uh, need to wrestle with for sure. Um, but here's kind of how I think about it. First of all, Godwin's law. Godwin's law. That's so it, it predicts that the longer an <laughs> online debate continues, the more likely Hitler is to come up. There's a Nazi analogy at some point. Yeah. Or someone says, Well, but what about Hitler? We've hit God, Godwin's, Godwin's law. law. Okay. It's been a while. <laughs> Thank you for taking us there. Um You're welcome. So where was I? Anyway. I'm not I'm not convinced that I would say that the New Testament does not condemn slavery because it the Old Testament and the New Testament both condemn slave trading mm-hmm. and he quotes it here um Exodus 2:21:16 anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death um whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession uh, that's obviously referring to mm-hmm. slave trading uh 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says the law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers dot 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 for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. So there we see a condemning of slave trading. Mm-hmm. So when you hear people say the Bible does not condemn slavery. Mm-hmm. Eh. Um, I was going to mention there's. A, um, so if you haven't heard of him before, John Stackhouse writes many things. He's you Google him, Google him. But, He's a New Testament scholar. Um. So he writes, he writes writes a lot of useful things for the people. I think like Mm -hmm. when you hear New Testament scholar, I like avoid saying things like that because I think people just immediately turn off and go, I'm not going to get that book. That's what gets me excited. Um, but anyway, so a long time ago, goodness, I don't know when this book originally came out. Um, 
maybe early 2000s, but he wrote a book called Finally Feminist, and it's a short book. It's little. You could get it and read it in an afternoon. Um, And he talks about a moment where he realized as a very conservative, complementarian, I believe he's a pastor, um, and of course a scholar, he got to the point where he had like this light bulb moment where he realized that people talk about the language that he and his cohort was using to perpetuate complementarianism was exactly the same language um, tropes, you know, mm-hmm. that the, uh, the people used to propagate slavery in mm-hmm. America. And so he had a moment where he realized I need to really deeply study this because if I'm going to say that scripture says this, so it is true, but I'm using exactly the opposite logic to say slavery is wrong. And here's how we know right. this isn't the direction we should be going. And so in this really short book, he lays out that journey that one could take to understand how we view the Bible, not as something that's just a static document that tells us exactly how things are and should be, but that it shows us the way that God is moving the world and what that might mean for how we practically live those things out. And then later, I I don't know, several years later, he wrote another book called Partners in Christ since I brought it up. Um, but this one, Finally Feminist, he talks about slavery quite a bit in that book and just kind of... Um, looking at how you could slowly um, work through scripture and get an understanding of um, what now to do about slavery. And then he applies that to men and women. So anyway, there's another book called Partners in Christ where he does that, but uh, pulls it out much more so, a lot more in that book. So anyway, it's useful. Yeah, I like John uh, Stackhouse. I've not read that book, but I bet it's good. But I have a copy in my office if anyone wants to borrow it. Cool. So anyway, back to slavery in the Bible. Um, it, it it occurs to me that pretty much every time slavery comes up, um, it's coming up in the context of somehow uh, limiting or softening the practice as compared to the broader culture at the time. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the New Testament where it's like, yes, it says slaves obey your masters and stuff like that. But it also says like, masters be kind to your slaves and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing um and you know in the old testament i think i said this last week like just the institution of sabbath is such a a a unique innovation like no other culture had anything like that but the bible's pretty clear slave it's a day off for the slaves you Mm -hmm. know even the animals get a day off Mm -hmm. and then there's sabbath years and stuff like that um and so yes it assumes slavery to be the case but it undercuts slavery as we think about it at almost every turn mm-hmm. to the point where then you arrive in the New Testament, you have Paul referring to a slave as his brother and saying, receive him like you would receive me and stuff like that. And actually calling Paul, calling himself a slave to Christ. Um, so anyway, it does a lot to change and undercut uh, the evils of slavery for sure. Um, oh, what else was I going to say? I can't remember, but... <laughs> It it seems to me like there's a like we keep saying what direction is it moving and in the Bible, more than anywhere else we see a movement against slavery and towards liberation and towards justice that I think the Holy Spirit carried through in history mm-hmm. through the church. I mean, obviously the church is responsible for a lot of awful things as far as slavery goes too, uh, but even in the early church, people knew slavery was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like. It does not take very long after the end of the New Testament to you see Christians condemning slavery, 
Okay. So uh, we seem to think that slavery is just like a given for centuries. It was not. Early Christians condemned slavery in Mm -hmm. all sorts of ways. And it's just that we um, white Americans found a way to be particularly devious Mm -hmm. in our slaveholding practices for a a long time. Mm -hmm. And, And we shouldn't extrapolate that on the rest of culture and history because it's not true. So yeah, anyway, slavery, it's a tough one, but I do think that there's ways that we can understand how the Bible actually moves against slavery in a unique way that we should be thankful for because it was the Christian revolution that eventually rose up to say, look, this can no longer happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for, for God to say to the new Testament writers, Hey, no slavery anymore done or even to the old testament you know um it's like saying hey no electricity to Mm -hmm. us it's just the way things were moved around it's the way that culture worked and uh you know doesn't mean it was okay Mm -hmm. but we burn a lot of fossil fuels today and it's not it's doing a lot of not okay things as well but imagine if we're just like okay no more yeah that would actually cause a lot of damage. And the power of the gospel in history, when you look over movements in time, when significant progress has happened for humanity, it's always like a, there's a push of, well, it's not even possible to imagine not having slavery. Like mm-hmm. it is how we get things done. You know, like we could not possibly be the America we were becoming without it at the time. So people just couldn't imagine anything else. And then there are people, many of them Christians who are saying we can imagine something else Mm -hmm. and pushing up through that. And then that ebb and flow happening throughout history. And it's happening today. It's happened all over the world in all different kinds of ways where there are people who say we can imagine something else than what we think is the only available option and so there's something about the gospel for as many horrible things that have happened in the name of god the true gospel has pushed up out of the broken systems of the world and brought about real clarity to everyone not just people who are christians but it's it's things that benefit the entire world Mm -hmm. you know the end of apartheid Mm -hmm. (laughs) that couldn't have been accomplished without uh many Christians in addition to many other people in the world working together for something that everyone else said wasn't possible or that they just simply didn't want. Yeah. The danger with these conversations is number one, it could sound like we're um, going soft on the evil of slavery. Like we're trying to justify ancient slavery and stuff like that. And I just want to unequivocally say, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm like, God was never like, this is my favorite way for people to live. I'm trying to contextualize (laughs) things a little bit and give us accurate view while also saying it was always bad and is never God's ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, and also that it could sound like we are trying to brush Christians participation in those evils under the rug. And that's not at all what we want to do either. Um, but at the same time, let's be honest about the the context, and it and it was Christians who rose up and said, "No, the gospel does not allow for this," mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of a unique thing in history too. So, yeah, the Bible history. compels us towards loving our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and if you if you can imagine, like God is someone moving everything back to the way he wanted it to be in the first place. If we have problems with how things are. Like God could just, what's it called? 
with the infinity stones, the snapping. Yeah. Get you an just infinity like infinity gauntlet. You just have an infinity gauntlet and fix everything. Mm-hmm. But I think we've even said this in this series before. God always moves with and through people. Yeah. Like he he doesn't do things in the world apart from with people like it's Mm -hmm. always embodied with people and this is just simply how he operates and so he could just snap his infinity gauntlet whatever (laughs) and make it happen but he doesn't because that is not how he works and so when you look at it that way like the things that god i think a lot of times we will get upset with the bible with god with christians about things that we don't fully understand and we'll say, but how, like, how could you want to be with a God who says this or does this or would put up with this and those types of things. And none of the things that God has given us in the law, um, none of the things that Christians have tried to follow over the centuries to be able to stay in communion with God that don't make sense to us, all of that. None of that is how things were originally supposed to work. And God is moving us all somewhere, not by force. (laughs) Like, you get to participate. And so it's like we often will get upset with the Bible for saying something crazy when it's right to say that that's crazy. Like, there should be something about all of this that feels wrong. Like, these are things to address something that's not meant to stay forever. Mm -hmm. So it's all meant to either keep people set apart and holy or keep them safe and healthy um, so they can thrive as best as possible, you know, before they knew about germ theory Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever. But none of it is the way that God wanted things to be, but this is how things are. And so he is loving us in our moment of time, giving us what we need to stay with him if we choose to. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point to end on. So anything else to add, Megan? No. Do you have a book? I gave a book recommendation. Do you want to give a book recommendation? Yeah. Um, well, I would recommend if you want to go deeper into kind of this, how to read the Bible stuff, uh, Scott McKnight's book, the blue parakeet, I think is excellent. Um, and he tackles, I, I know he talks about women in ministry. I don't, Mm -hmm. I think he might talk about slavery in there as well. I think he does too. I can't remember. Goodness, it's been a while. There's a new version out though that I think he okay. updated too. Nice. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I we respect Scott McKnight a lot. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, and uh, he's a New Testament. Oh, sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. He's a really you smart guy. You can say that, but. <laughs> and he th- that book is is a lot about. Um, it's not like taking this or that verse all the time and saying, here's how we should interpret that verse. Yeah, it's, it's not, not so, like exegesis. It's, not exegesis. Kind of it's a lot more of an experiment in hermeneutics, like how mm-hmm. we interpret, what the process of interpretation looks like. How do we take the Bible to be and stuff like that? You're which, picturing something that's like line by line, just trying to figure out what something is saying. But he's saying in the blue parakeet, for example, like here is this thing in scripture. And now how might we practice an exercise of like living that out, you know, like how, how can we look at this in our regular life? It's very easy to read. And however well we're explaining it, please just know that I would, I would highly recommend that book. Like if this is true, then put it to use. Like that's Mm -hmm. what the blue parakeet is. Like if this thing in scripture, this principle is true, then how would we live it out? And it does talk quite a bit about if this is true, then how do we live that out with men and women in the church and things like that. Cool. Mm-hmm. I started my second Charles Dickens novel as of late last night. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I'm just into it. I'm just into Which it. Which one did you pick up? A Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I really like his writing. Mm-hmm. I um I just finished reading. Um, so have you ever watched the movie Babette's Feast? No. Okay. So uh, I watched that on New Year's Day, and it was just like absolutely fabulous it was so good i was watching it and i was thinking this is one of the best things i've ever seen or experienced in my life like story-wise it was so we have watched encanto six times though (laughs) yeah that's crazy i couldn't get through it once i'm not even kidding i was like this movie is bad this movie is like i think it's amazing did you i think it's the best disney animated film as of late well i only watched like 20 minutes of it and i was like i'm out I think, I'm it's, so I think bored. it's better than Frozen. I was so bored. I think it's better than Moana. I mean, I just, I guess, should I stick it out? Because I watched like 20 minutes. I got through the part where the sister was singing about being strong, but mm-hmm. also that that's a lot of a burden. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, I'm so bored. <laughs> and I went and like did my laundry and stuff while everybody else watched it. Yeah. Should no, I go back I think and watch it? I think it's great. I'm so bored. Not everyone okay. agrees with me, but I do. And I would be willing <laughs> to defend my position okay. as far as it being... Perhaps uh, better than Moana. Frozen, I feel whoa. like. I feel like it's I loved e- easily Moana. better than Frozen. But Frozen is like a whole thing. But Moana, I do love. I love Moana too. But by the end of this one, I was like, I think I've got a new number one. Really? Mm-hmm. I just thought this movie is bad. You didn't finish it. I know, but that's why. Because I was like, I can't do this. Can't. Um, you know, a sign of good art is often that it gets better with each listen or viewing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I find that to be true of like music albums a lot. Like uh-huh. a lot of times you listen to one first and you're like, eh, but then you listen to it again. You're like, Oh, mm-hmm. there's something going on here. Like cloud cuckoo land. I read it twice mm-hmm. straight through two times in a row and it was so good the first time. And then when I read it the second time, I was like, Oh no, yes, mm-hmm. it's even better. As I've watched yeah. Encanto more, I've realized that the, the <laughs> plot as has, a parent of small children, yeah. as I've I don't care. I, I like the movie on its own. I would be saying this whether I had kids or not. I think it's a good movie. Um, it, it, the the plot has a coherence to it that I think others don't. Oh my even gosh, though I was so boring. I didn't think about that when I first watched it, but the more I watched, it, the more I think it. I might try it sometime. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, so first of all, Cloud Cuckoo Land, gorgeous book. You're either gonna love it or hate it. Like. It's pretty polarizing, I'm sure. It's okay. Anthony Doerr. So you either love his writing or you don't. I love it. But anyway, so on New Year's Day, I watched Babette's Feast, which is this movie from the 80s, but it's based on an uh, Isaac Dennison book, like a short story. Um, Isaac Dennison is actually a woman. So okay. she wrote like out of Africa. Mm-hmm and um all that so anyway i went down a bit of a rabbit hole with that so i read babette's feast and then i got another book of her short stories and then i read out of africa that was brilliant i had been meaning to read that for a really long time it was much better i was like cringing waiting for it to be bad but it was it was very good cool beautiful and i not not cringy like i thought it might be so cool so the moral of today's mm-hmm. podcast is that you all should go watch Encanto. Is that what we're saying? That's the whole, to wrap everything up. I mean, I up. believe that your experience is true. <laughs> and I believe that mine is valid too. Um, okay. <laughs> that, isn't that what like uh, abusers say to victims? <laughs> <laughs> what do you 
are you getting at? Uh, I believe you. I also believe me. Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, he doesn't disappoint. I just like, I was so disappointed. But again, I did not finish it. So let that be a lesson to you about the Bible. Don't judge it until you really understand what you're talking about. And the more you understand it, the more you'll know you don't understand it. So. Yeah. Are we still talking about Encanto? Um, (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yes, we are. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tune in next time.